It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of the Take Talk Podcast. I am your host, Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke. Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Another week down. I got a lot of sleep last night. I'm feeling good. Nice. I am under the weather. This happens. This happens at the beginning of every season, Steve. I, I you know, don't get any sleep, and I have three kids in school, and they come home and give me all sorts of weird parasitical viruses that other kids carry around and it's gross and since my immune system is in the tanker i usually get sick <laughs> so um i even bailed on john hansen's show this morning which i usually do wednesday mornings uh because i just felt like i was dead so yeah um and along with feeling like i'm dead let's get into the nfl news of the week steve everyone is dead yeah it's i mean this, this was, was absolute carnage this week Dude, the Grim Reaper came and said, you are done having fun. Yeah, it is it, like ne- next man up is never more prevalent than it is going into this week. Every freaking team in the NFL right now is going next man up. We got this. Right. So I know this I know a the- lot of local fan bases are freaking out about their team, but just go look at every other team. Yeah, <laughs> you'll feel a lot not, better real quick. It's not good really anywhere. Like, it, I mean, and you could feel it watching the games this week. I mean. Just why you like it felt like there was so much time lost to just guys being down every oh. other series, every series almost. Yeah, I, I actually messaged Dr. Edwin asking him, like, is this year different than others? It just seems like every game is taken forever because we're spending so much time with injured players. And his answer was no, like it kind of ebbs and flows. But I think just this week was really bad. Like this week was, right. dude, even going into Monday Night Football before the Nick Chubb thing happened, I had this feeling of like, oh, my God, this week was horrible for injuries. And right. then you saw that happen on live TV and you're just oh. like, oh, my God. Yeah, that was brutal. And just like Nick Chubb's the best of us. He's just I like genuinely I feels in it, like has always felt like a very under the radar just good guy and you know to see that happen it's oof, that was, it was brutal to watch yeah and unfortunately as uh you know adam schefter so callously pointed out that is the knee he hurt at georgia yeah <laughs> um, that will <laughs> <laughs> Chef, what was Chef, that Chef update? engagement farm off a dude's injury like holy oh frick God. <laughs> i saw that the morning after and i was like what why what's the point of this why why even bring yeah. that up especially for him like there if you play like the 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 doctor role on twitter you know like we got our guy we got i think two actually that work at fantasy points there, you know if that's your angle like hey because of this injury, this one might be harder to come back from. Here's some analysis, and you're actually given an analysis. That's whatever. That makes right. sense. But to just be like, oh, by the way, in 2015, Nick Chubb tore this, 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 and this. And it's the same knee. He's basically effed. <laughs> well, then to word it as if like it's confirmation of what the injury yes. was. Like yeah. you stopped reading halfway through. You're like, okay, that's what he just injured. And because that, I mean, that exactly. caught me where I was like, oh, that's what that's what happened. And then all and then I read it through again. I'm like, oh, he's just saying what the injury was from the last time he heard it. From this has no literally this a decade ago, by the way. It has no bearing on anything about this injury at all that's exactly what happened to me i read i read the first half of that tweet and was like oh my how do they already know that that's crazy that was bad um and then and then i figured out that that was just an engagement farming tweet so here we are he 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 does that every once in a while every once in a while he pulls that move and he knows what he's doing because it it works every time it gets people every single time yep um you know what? Since this is take talk and we're talking about bad takes, I got another one for you that's not super football related, but it is Stephen Brett related because it has to do with something we both enjoy very much. Dan Orlovsky this morning tweeted about procedural coffee making. And procedurally, do you go creamer in the cup first or creamer after you pour the coffee? So this is a multi layered question, Steve. 
So I don't use any creamer. Okay, well, thank that's the that's the that was the second question. Is that's that's no creamer for off. me. I take I it back. Any, yeah, I don't. Do if any I creamer. do any milk, whatever whatsoever, it's in the form of a cortado. So it's a double shot of espresso with literally an ounce of milk in it. Yeah, steamed milk at that. But my I boys. Make, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I do make my wife's coffee, and she does take creamer. Like I usually make my wife's coffee okay. in the morning, and I do. A little bit. I do creamer first, a little bit of coffee, froth see it, where you're at. And, then, and add a little bit of coffee, froth it, and then oh. add the rest of the coffee. Ooh, okay. That's usually that's usually my procedural making of coffee if it has Ooh. creamer in it. Nice. So I, I, if I were to use creamer like I did when I was like twelve, because <laughs> I'm a man now, I don't use cream, um, but I would do creamer first then a little bit of coffee, you know, then coffee. And then that way, for one, it mixes itself. It stirs itself. Right. For two, right. It, uh, you can kind of see where you're at at the end. Like, ooh, maybe I over poured the coffee, dump a little out, yep. pour, pour some more coffee in to darken it up. Or, oh, wow, I really skimped out on the, the creamer. I can add just a touch more. Yeah. Granted, I don't use any creamer, but that's what I would do. Uh, and then the second question, Steve, he's using oat milk <laughs> as a creamer. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Man. I'm just saying. It's fine. I, I mean, I don't mind oat, oat milk. As the texture like, of it's vile, though. You can't use it in coffee. I'm sorry. Yeah, cereal, whatever. Because cereal, the the texture of the cereal hides the texture of the oat milk. Right. I can't. I can't even imagine putting oat milk in my in my coffee. That's just vile. Oat milk is like a last case scenario. If like we've completely <laughs> run out of creamer and we have no milk, but we happen to have oat milk, it's it's like emergency. Yeah. You emergency use only is it's is okay. its operational value. I can live with that. I can live with that. So, um, all right, let's hop into today's things Brett likes. I don't know how many more of these we'll do because eventually you're going to know our entire lives, and I don't know if we want you knowing <laughs> that much about us. But, um, and since I'm sick, I prepared nothing, but uh, I can come up with it pretty quick here. Um, things Brett likes. I like PCGA, Jiu Jitsu Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is where I train. Uh, if you live in the Metro Detroit area, check out PCGA and you're interested in grappling, whether you're uh, like a former athlete looking for that next competitive uh, cycle in your life. Great stop for you, whether you're like a hobbyist just looking for a nice community of people who are going to like lift you up and help you get better, stronger, faster, healthier. Great community. If you're just looking for um, a simple weight loss solution, PCGA is for you. Uh, we have a, a phenomenal community. We have cla- a, a really robust class schedule three days a week. I'm sorry, three times a day, pretty much every day of the week. So there's a 6 a.m. class, a noon class, and a night class. There's a really, really good kids program if you want to get your kids involved. I think it's awesome. Um, from We have you know, nine-year-old kids training to 70-year-old men and women training. It's pretty awesome. So That's awesome. Um, it's really, really cool environment. Uh, we're located in the metro Detroit area check out the pcga.com for more but so the pcga is one thing that i like um another thing mm. i like is oh man this is why you got to prepare steve this is why <laughs> you do it. Uh, like this yeah uh let's see have i done steak yet uh i don't know if you've done grilling but i think i, think I did blackstone one day yeah, you did do I'll that. Do, for I'll sure. do steak today. I like steak. I cook steak a few times a week. Um, last night, though, Steve, I did some ribeyes. Even though I was sick, my family still needed to eat, and my wife wasn't getting home till six o'clock. So that left me to do the cooking, and I made some just phenomenal ribeyes. Um, they're pretty good. I'm surprised I didn't send you and Chris a picture because that's normally what I, I do know. on Tuesdays. I know you always throw it in there. <laughs> yeah. And again, I can't reiterate enough that it's cruel. An unusual yeah. punishment. Yes. Cruel and unusual punishment. And then lastly, I like cortados specifically. We've talked about me liking coffee on this podcast, but I really yep. like cortados. It's my favorite espresso drink. Um, it's not too milky. Like a lot of times you drink like a latte, you feel like your head's a balloon for the rest of the day because there's so much dairy in it. Yeah. Uh, a cortado is basically equal parts espresso, equal parts milk. It's really good. It's delicious. So there you go. That's it. Those are the things I like. Um, all right, Steve, we're going to do some, what did you think about this? 
I'm going to start with the Atlanta Falcons. What do you think about Bijan Robinson? This is a multi-layered discussion, by the way. <laughs> now, what do you think about Bijan Robinson? Full disclosure: I haven't watched the Green Bay Atlanta game. I have seen clips of Bijan on Twitter from that game, and I okay. watched last week's game. And I think what I think about him is that he's exactly what I thought he was going to be. Yeah, I mean, he's already he's, the best running back in the NFL. Yeah, he live. He's already living up to his billing. I mean. The dude moves so well in space. He sees the game differently. He sees just openings in the defense differently than most any player in the NFL, especially at the running back position. I just think he's so versatile. And, you know, if the Atlanta Falcons wanted to give him 35 touches a game, I don't think anybody would be upset about that because, I mean, especially when you have a quarterback like Desmond Ritter, who, you know, everybody has their opinions of Desmond Ritter. I think he's fine. I, he's, you know, I don't think he's going. He's not going to, you know, backpack a team to the playoffs in any by any means. But, you know, he operates well within the offense, and I think that having a weapon like Bijan just makes his job so much easier. Like just to have him as a checkdown, to have him just to hand the ball off, to get design plays to. He's just so good in space that he can make plays on out of nothing. And, it, you know, it's not really – again, it's not something you have we've seen in a while. You know, I think, like, he's a little bit reminiscent of, like, a LaDainian Tomlinson where it feels like he's a plus value in every aspect of the game, which not many running backs are. And he – I mean, yeah, he's just so good. He's so much fun to watch. So good. Um, all right, second part of this question is, what do you think about Arthur Smith and the way he uses Bijan – and check this out. I'm going to go through a scenario. You tell me if this is just bull or or not bull. Atlanta's driving the football. They're on a long drive right now. They get down to the Green Bay 11, running a first and 10 pay, play from the Green Bay 11. Bijan Robinson is not on the field. That play goes for nine yards. So they're at second and one from the Green Bay two. Bijan Robinson is not on the field. They get a pass interference on that play to make it first and goal from the one yard line. Bijan Robinson is not on the field. Second and goal from the one yard line. Bijan Robinson finally comes in. He gets a carry for no gain. Third and one from the Green Bay one. And Bijan Robinson comes off the field again. He's not on the field on third and one from the one. Incomplete pass to Johnny Smith. Fourth and one from the one. They come out to run a play. And guess what? Bijan Robinson is not on the field. From the one-yard line, Steve, they drew a false start and ended up kicking a field goal. And I got to feel like, bro, Arthur, where's your deal? Yeah. I And, like, listen, I'm not – Five chances to score. (laughs) Yeah. I think – I mean, I think it's bull because you don't have to give him the ball every single time inside the red zone. That's not a feasible strategy. It doesn't always work well. You know, whatever, but just have him on the field. The threat of him in the red zone, in the within the five yard line, within the one yard line, is enough to make defense defenses change their strategy. Not having him on the field takes away your most dynamic weapon yeah. off the field. You're pulling away your most dynamic weapon, and at least it gives offenses a little bit more to key in on, or defenses oh. more to key in on. I just think that, like, again, I mean. Just for an example, we saw it with Detroit when they converted that fourth down inside the red zone. They had Jameer Gibbs lined up at running back. They motioned him out. And, you know, it pulled the defender out with him. And then it allowed, it, you know, defense flowed with it and allowed them to run that counter action back with Amon Ra to convert the fourth down. It's little things like that that you'd like to see uh, Arthur Smith do with Bijan is, Use you know motion him use him in a way that like distracts the defense and makes them focus on him and like get scared that he's going to get the ball in a different way. Yeah, I it just it kind of blew my mind. I was I was blowing up the the fantasy points internal yeah. Discord. I was just so upset with with Arthur and the play calling there. I don't know why. And this isn't just the Falcons. A lot of teams are really scared to go empty when they're on the goal line. Yeah, obviously for for probably because space is already tight. So having like, you know, in theory, five routes into the end zone is not ideal because there's really not space for that. Right. And then furthermore, I think the the idea of going empty, you're pretty much guaranteeing some type of blitz 
and you don't want to lose yardage when you're on the goal line. So, yeah. But I would love to see a team like Atlanta, who's got a pretty mobile quarterback. He's not Justin Fields or yep. anything, but he's he's mobile. He's got some wheels. Yep. Come out in like twelve personnel. You can attach the tight ends to the line of scrimmage still. Motion Bijan out into the slot and go empty. You still you still have a good pass protection plan because you can still keep seven in the block, and then just watch what happens to that defense. If they if they spread to match the the new empty set, then you run QB draw. If they don't, yeah. then you have options. You got Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson. Like you got to get way more creative on the goal line than this team is. It's it's kind of brutal. No, I get you're you're pretty hamstrung from the inside the or from the twenty to the twenty with Ritter because he's not that great of a passer. Yeah. So you have, you got to do whatever you can to get down there. A lot of a lot of heavy run scheme, whatever. But once you're yeah. on the goal line with the weapons you have, you got to be able to make it work with this with this crew. This crew's insane. They have talent all over the place. So does does Arthur Smith have too much talent to work with? Is it is it overwhelming him? <laughs> like for goal for specifically goal line and red zone looks, he might. I mean. There, there should be no reason not to be elite on the goal line with with Bijan, Pitts, and London. Yeah, yeah, it should be. I mean, they they should have the be- They should have one of the best red zone uh, conversion percentages. Percentages. Right, they they really should. Um, next, what did you think of that? What did you think of Dan Campbell's final drive? clock usage um specifically you know is there anything like detroit fans are losing their mind this week about it uh, i'll give you my take in a second but i want to hear your take what uh what did you think of the dan campbell's end of game clock usage i mean i thought it was a little bit lackadaisical i mean i don't fully i'd see it like they generally seem like they play were playing for a field goal they were playing for a tie which, you know, we've decried numerous times on this podcast for other coaches doing the same thing. And I'm not going to let Dan Campbell off the hook because you have, an, you have an offense that's been moving outside of, you know, a couple drives. They've been moving the ball well the entire game. You've been moving. You've been, I mean, Jared Goff was ripping balls up the seams and had openings up the seams with Reynolds and Laporta, things like that over the middle. And you had, they had three timeouts going into it. I just like, I don't understand why there wasn't more of a push to conserve conserve time and give yourself more opportunities. Like I under, I understand, you know, they got down somewhat close to the end zone and you know, it, obviously the field gets more congested and things like that, but it just I just don't understand why there wasn't more of a push to go go to the end zone especially given that your defense had been struggling that day and you know, over overtime can come down to a coin flip, coin flip and I just, I, I wish you would have seen them be more aggressive, especially considering the entire rest of the game, they had been very aggressive. I mean, incredibly aggressive. They, I mean, did they even punt? Did they punt the ball on Sunday? Yeah, one time. Once. And then they went for it on, you know, their other fourth downs. It just. Well, they only freaking had two other fourth downs, I think. But yeah. But, but still, yeah. I mean, you know, they're going for it. It's just like, why not push that aggressiveness and get them on their heels. I think if you ran more of a hurry up, you saw a couple times where it took them, you know, they were taking a while to get up to the line. They weren't really operating with a sense of urgency. It was a little bit more of, you know, like we're fine, you know, it's kind of not really as much of your two minute offense as you could do and, you know, really push it. And I just, I don't understand it. it I don't totally understand it from a standpoint of they could have gotten probably three or four more plays in there with the time that they took in between some of those plays. So my take, I don't think the time was ever an issue. I don't think it got to the point. What the issue was is that they didn't convert the third down. They convert the third down. They call a timeout immediately. They still have probably 21 seconds in, for, in a yeah. first downs from like the 15 ish. Yeah. Um, actually we can go through the plays. They started that drive on the 50, by the way. Yep. Cause, uh, Caleb Raymond had a, a good return on the punt. So and Gino took a yeah, Gino took that horrible sack. Dixon had the punt from the three-yard line, um, which he bombed it, by the way. And then Raymond still yeah. ripped off a good return, got all the way out to the 50. So with a minute 44, and the Seahawks had three timeouts, um, 
I, I know what's going through Dan's mind. It's like we gotta we gotta eat a lot of this clock. We cannot give Gino the ball back with time. Yeah. So it was a little conservative of an approach, but they still moved the ball well. So first play, Jared Goff passed it to Josh Reynolds for 12 yards. They let about 40 seconds come off the clock. Next play, Caleb Raymond uh, on the end around for, what, 11 yards down to the Seattle 27. So a minute left, and they're already on the 27. Yeah. But now you're definitely thinking, wow, we're moving it. We got we to gotta run this clock. So they get down to the 32-second 30, mark. Uh, Goff hits Gibbs for four yards on first and 10. So they're on the Seattle 23, and they take a timeout with 26 seconds left. I don't think time was an issue here. The The play that really screwed them was the next one. 26 seconds, Jared Goff pass incomplete to Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra was open, wide open. Goff missed him. It was one of the few few misses of the day. He got yeah. pressure early in his face. He got hit as he was throwing it, and the ball was short. If Amon Ra catches that, he gets down to probably about the 10, 8-yard line, and they have 22-ish seconds left. Time, I don't think time was ever an issue. And I 20, think they still you timeouts. Right, you're on the 8-yard line. You, it doesn't take 22 seconds to run four plays, especially no. when you have two timeouts. So I didn't think that was the issue. That Where they got a little wonky was the next play on the third and six. Again, Goff had pressure, had to check it down to Gibbs. Gibbs didn't pick up the first. So that was that was the issue. If they convert the first down there, I think Dan's very aggressive in the situation. But knowing yeah. he didn't want to give Gino the ball back, I think that was that was what was first and foremost in his mind. Was it perfect? No, I just don't think people are like losing their mind over it. And I don't think it was remotely that bad. Like I like I said, I don't think time was ever the issue. The issue was that they had to make it a fourth and three decision. Yeah. Um which in that I mean the missing uh Amon Ross St. Brown was big and it I it came down to defense is able to key in on Amon Ra and then they didn't have a ton of guys that were win that can consistently win on routes. And that that's gonna be a th- I think that's gonna be a theme, at least potentially until Jamison Williams comes back. But you've kind of you've kind of seen it so far this season where this offense is a very methodical offense because they have to be. They, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown is not a game breaker. I mean, he's, you know, incredibly consistent, but he's not like breakaway speed. He wins his routes. But, you know, when you have just one guy that can do that and you're relying on, you know, Josh Reynolds, Gibbs underneath, Laporta, a lot of underneath stuff, it just, you know, that that's what it comes down to is that when you can't have a guy win consistently or you have just one guy and the defense can key in on them, it limits your options, especially in those, you know, high pressure situations. Yeah. The, obviously we've scrutinized their, their weapons pretty heavily, but it's still amazing that through two games so far, they've still got 10 explosive plays in the past game. Yeah. That's nuts. Like they're like Josh Reynolds is playing really, really well. I would like for them to have a a better speed option to go with Amon Ra and, and Josh. And I I think Caleb can be the answer by the way. I just, and you saw it like the transition from Marv to him happened this week. He played a lot yep. more than Marvin did. Yeah, um, I think that was. I don't even think Marv did. Marvin get a target in this game. He got. I think he got one. I one. Okay. I remember one target to him. And yeah, and he was he was heavily targeted in the, the first game. So yeah. Um. But I do think they know that their personnel is not the best, so they do they definitely take a methodical approach. But they're still hitting explosives like crazy. So I mean, they're I think they're tied for the league lead in explosive plays in the past game. So. I mean, so far, Goff and Ben Johnson are, you know, end of last year and then going into this year, they've been one of the best and most fun quarterback offensive coordinator tandems to watch because you can see that Goff is more confident this year and Ben Johnson is just a really good play caller. I mean, that's it's all it comes down to is he's, he's very good situationally and he's very good at getting guys open for Goff. Yep. Um all right let's pivot to our games of the week actually real quick i want to give a shout out to nico collins this week steve he was my week two game ball recipient dude was balling second week in a row really his stat line week one wasn't great but the film was awesome he is cooking out there he looks much improved from a route running standpoint technique has gotten really really good uh releases off press look really good um, he's going to dominate single high coverage all year, I think. So 
Um, unless you're going to play too high against him, I don't I don't really know how to stop what he's doing. It, him and Stroud have a really special connection so far. So shout Stroud out to Nico. ripping it this year too. Yeah, he. So I mean, far. he looks. It's weird. His game, his tape is really polarizing for me. I I watched every drop back yesterday actually when I was doing Nico, and he he looks entirely different when he's not thrown it to Nico. Like he's he's processing information quickly, throwing with anticipation, and then when he's targeting those other receivers, he's holding the ball really long. Ball's not coming out necessarily in time. They're scheming it up pretty good too. Like Tank is getting Robert Woods getting a lot of those design touches, which is really helping. But um, Stroud has impressed me a little bit. He's playing a lot better than I thought he would as a rookie. So yeah, with a, with a just horrendous offensive line situation. So yeah. Another team, again, yeah, a lot of injuries on that front, but he's making do with it. All right, games of the week. So we're going to do a little review of the best game from week two, and we pegged that as the Tennessee Chargers game, mostly because this game was, like, comical. I remember talking to Chris before the game, Steve, and he said, you know, he was we we're talking about DFS stuff, and he was like, he basically touted the Chargers. Like, I think I'm playing Herbert and Keenan Allen. And then he was like, he started thinking about it. He's like, you know what, though? If there's ever a game where Mike Vrabel might just have the best game plan, I just feel like it could be this one for whatever reason. And then, of course, not only does Vrabel Vrabel and do the game plan thing, but the Chargers Charger, and they screw themselves because that's what yep. they do. Um, every year, we hype the Chargers so much, and we forget that they're the Chargers. They just find ways to, to not do it. I did my best to not get on the train as hard this year. And it's proven to, and it's proven to be okay. I mean, listen, the offense is playing well. Their defenses look pretty rough so far. I mean, Tannehill played real I mean, coming off the game that he had last week where it looked like, "Oh my gosh, why is this man starting at quarterback? Should we consider switching to Malik Willis? Should we consider like should there be a switch made?" And then this week I just it's an, for how much talent the Chargers have on defense. I just don't get why they're this bad. I don't understand. I mean, I don't just understand how Brandon Staley can't figure this out. I don't understand how their defense is consistently just getting gashed in the passing game. It just doesn't make I I, I can't make sense of it. So so let's play this game then. Why does Brandon Staley have a job? Why? Because you can't admit giving up on it. I I just don't think they want to admit that they have to give up on him. They brought him in because he was running this really cool scheme in L.A. Super creative, super aggressive, analytically driven guy. And then he comes to the Chargers. I guess that's also L.A. (laughs) He comes to the Chargers (laughs) with, with arguably more talent. They were loaded. They brought in J.C. Jackson. They already had Derwin James and Michael Davis and Joey Bosa. They brought in Khalil Mack. Like, uh, this team was loaded. This year, Adderley, they had, like, a lot of really good players. Yeah. And it just does not work. No. Like, they gave up, like, 250 yards to Ryan Tannehill and that group of pass catchers. That's, like, the equivalent of giving up 466 to Tua, in my opinion. Yeah. So the I mean, frustrating thing, though, Steve, is like if you if you're a Chargers fan, it's like they brought in Kellen Moore to fix the offense, and that's working. Yep. It seems yep. like they brought in. Or I'm sorry. the The scheme that Staley was running in with the Rams and is still running in the Chargers is is still a really popular scheme throughout the NFL, and it's still working at a high level everywhere else. Yep. The Jets are basically running the same scheme. Um, but. It's not working there, and he's the guy. He's supposed to be the the dude that runs that. I at this point, I don't know what the justification for keeping him is. I mean, I know it's week two. You're not firing a coach week two, but holy cow, he's got to be on the hot seat. I, I'm I'm sorry to say, he has to be. It has to be. I mean, again, with a team with this much talent, for them to be to, for them to have started the season zero and two, regardless of who they played, and especially given the situations that they were in, where you would argue that they had, I mean, they had chances to win both games and it just, it, you know, I mean, Chris coined the, coined the nickname fake sharp Brandon Staley. 
And, you know, it's just, it's proven to be true. He's, I don't, I just, again, I just can't figure out why and how they're letting teams rip them. I mean, Tannehill week one, I think had like a almost 15% turnover worthy throw rate, which, you know, I mean, the Saints were putting him in, were creating plays, getting pressure and, you know, uh, forcing a lot of bad throws. He didn't have a single turnover worthy throw against the Chargers and, he had like an 83% completion percentage. And I mean, he, it was, it was insane. He absolutely picked him apart. And again, how like JC Jackson and Michael Davis, Derwin James should not be a like, secondary like that should not be getting picked apart the way that they are. Not it. Yeah. By the way, Ryan Tannehill in this game had two of the most ridiculous throws you're going to see. Um, the one he had to Traylon Burks, by the way, Traylon Burks, <laughs> Oh my God! Seven. He he. I'll give him this. He runs really well in a straight line for a while, and then the ghost will get him. The yeah. ghost always gets Traylon Burks. It's there's never yeah. a play where the ghost doesn't get him. But this play specifically, he he wins his nine route. Tannehill hits him with probably the best deep ball we've seen of the season. A sixty yard. It it, it actually traveled like sixty one yards in the air. Perfect throw. Hits Burks in stride, and Burks gets to like the 10 yard line and falls down. Yeah. The ghost got him. So shout out, shout out to Traylon, the most athletic, unathletic person of all time. He has zero body control. It is actually amazing how uncoordinated he is. It reminds me of um, a little bit of Hawkinson after the catch. Yeah. Kind of like a baby, like baby deer, baby deer look. They just get, they get the ball in their hands and then it's just like flailing almost like there's no yes. coordination there's no it's just like legs and legs and arms are all over the map and it's like and then they fall down yep and well hawk, wonder, hawk stopped trying to do things after the catch he just falls down now instinctively and he's getting he's getting better he picks and chooses when you can tell that he has his feet underneath him that's when he'll go after a defender but when he doesn't have his feet underneath him you're right he doesn't take yeah. those risks anymore he just kind of he's he down he's down moving on he's, to the next play you know who he is dude he's adam thielen bro <laughs> <laughs> what is the last time you saw adam thielen pick up a, a single yard of yak on a play yeah tyler lockett's the same way yeah or Ty, tyler lockett just which tyler lockett's more of a size thing i think i think he's he's good at mi- minimizing and mitigating getting clean contact on himself yeah but with a guy with Thielen and Traylon Burks and Hawkinson size, there's no reason they should be going down. Yeah, Lockett is at least good at yak. He just know like if he catches a ball on like a, a a sail or an out route or over the middle, and he doesn't know where the defensive back is, he isn't like located him in his head. He's yeah. just gonna go down or go out of bounds. He it's he just strategic. knows like it's strategic. Now they do scheme him up some some yak stuff, which he's really good at. But like he's not taking yep. hits he doesn't need to take. That's smart. I feel like Thielen and Hawkinson, it's just like. <laughs> They just they don't even want to try. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. just done. Thielen's hilarious, bro. I feel like <laughs> there's so many play like do you ever watch JT O'Sullivan? Yeah. So I occasionally I occasionally watch JT, but I wonder if there's beef there because JT's last season in Minnesota, Thielen was a rookie. But he picked <laughs> on Thielen so hard. When, <laughs> but it's true, like I never really noticed it until he put it out, but like Thielen Wolf catch a pass on the boundary and make you think he's going out of bounds, but he actually falls on like he like falls in bounds. Yeah. So <laughs> he could definitely turn it up sometimes. He just doesn't, um, which is really funny. But anyways, back to this game. Yeah. Back to the task at hand. <laughs> um, Traylon Burks uh, also in the, the Hawkinson, Adam Thielen variety, except that he's just, athletically unathletic not a lot of functional athleticism going on there so um but yeah the, this tennessee offense managed to pick apart the chargers defense in the past game which was wild and then they ran the ball decently i'll say effectively i know henry you know was basically just smashed you in the face all game i think he had like three yards of carry but tajay spears was a really nice change of pace option in yeah. this game um, but ultimately, Chargers defense collapsed when it mattered most, and Tennessee scored the go-ahead touchdown. And then the Chargers couldn't get it get it done. I think they had time left, right, Steve? Didn't they get an actual drive going at the end? Yes, they had a chance to make something happen, and they didn't. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this is the crazy thing. <laughs> They're only down three, Steve. They get the ball with uh, is that ten minutes left? Oh my god! They, oh no, it was tied. To... Okay, yeah. It was tied. They get the ball with 10 minutes left. Herbert, incomplete pass, deep. Three deep shots in a row. And then they have to punt. And then and then Tennessee didn't give the ball back. And you can tell, like, this week compared to last week, what really, I think, messed up with the Chargers' flow as an offense is their run game did not do anything this week compared to last week. Last week, they, I mean, they had over 200 yards rushing. Yeah. They were gashing the Miami Dolphins at will, and they were able to kind of pick their spots with Herbert up until the end of the game where, you know, he needed to make some throws and they got pressure, or Miami got pressure on him. But, they you know, they were able to, you know, kind of dictate the pace of the game a little bit with uh, their, run, their run game. This week, they weren't able to do that um, hardly at all. They, you know, finished with 61 yards, 2.9 yards per carry, they got a, they were stuffed on two thirds of their rush attempts. Gross. I mean, just yeah. Overall, having fourteen of your twenty-one rushing attempts get stuffed. That I mean, Herbert ended up you know playing well, and he I he, I saw him rip the ball a little bit more this week, and he looked a little bit more confident throwing the ball down the field compared to the week before, where he was kind of taking his chances a little bit more. Yeah. But. That, you know, the Chargers offense, it has been, and it apparently continue will continue will continue to be kind of dictated by how the rush offense goes and, you know, not having Eckler hurt them. But that is a, that's a big part of how they move the ball down the field. And it, they weren't able to do that. And you can see that it, you know, kind of caused some issues for their offense throughout the game. Yeah, and we kind of knew they wouldn't run it well against Tennessee. Their run defense is crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do, I do like what I saw from Herbert this week. I think it was a good mix of deep, deep attempts and you know working with what he has. Yeah. The reality is, like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams aren't going to really get it done deep, so you're going to have to scheme stuff up. I love the way they're using Quinton Johnson. He's not going on the field a ton, but he's when he's on the field, they're using him as a as a deep threat. I mean, they're not throwing it to him, but he's clearing stuff out like really yeah. well. Like yeah. teams are respecting that that element. So a couple of the big plays Keenan had over the middle where was Quentin Johnson just cleared it out for him. I think one was a was a dagger concept uh, where where QJ just completely cleared out the whole middle of the field and, and Keenan had a, a nice little window to to work there. Yeah. Um, so I, I do like what I'm seeing from this offense a lot more than last year. It's definitely week one was a struggle at times, but they were running the ball so good you kind of give them a little break, you know, a little more yeah. ball control. Um, this week. They definitely, I, I like some of the concepts they're drawn up, and their willingness to throw it downfield seemed to be there. So, well, hopefully that continues. You know, and that was, I mean, that was had to be game plan oriented because Tennessee kind of got torn apart through the past last year, and uh, a little bit last week they were very susceptible to deep balls against the Saints, and I, the Chargers saw that. It's just a matter of can you carry it over to a week where they play a little bit better pass defense. And it just overall, if you watch just the Chargers offense, you'd think this team would win every game. I yeah. think, like you said, their scheme has been really solid. And again, against the Tennessee defense that you can't be overstated how well they play and how well coached they are. But it just comes down to the defense. And Brandon Saley is just blowing opportunities for this team. Usually there's no yep. reason you should be giving up a 92.7% adjusted completion percentage to Ryan Tannehill. Oh, just wait till they play Cousins this week. Cousins oh my gosh. Like that, that game, game might, might be 45 42. And it just might, and it might, there no might line. be, you thought there were a lot of passing yards in the Miami Chargers game. This could be more this week because Minnesota's pass defense is not yeah, the greatest. And Minnesota's passing offense, honestly, has been very, very, very good through the first two weeks. Yep. Um, I agree. Um, all right, let's pivot to game of the week for this coming week. Uh, we're going Eagles Buccaneers, Steve. The as, early as game it, of the the double Monday Monday night slate there, so we get a, a double header on Monday again, which is cool. But the Steve, we get to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield for a game of the week. What is happening? Yeah, as everyone predicted, especially me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are two and zero after two weeks. I did not. I thought they were going to be terrible, but 
And I thought they were going to compete for the worst record in the NFL. And that, you know, still could potentially happen. But Baker Mayfield, man. Slinging it. He looks so comfortable for the first time in, since twenty the 2020 season. He looks comfortable. He looks confident. He's throwing. He's finding his spots. He's not putting the ball into harm's way too often. He, he just he looks good. The offense in general looks good. That's the key, not putting the ball in harm's way often. He is like near best in the league in turnover where you throw percentage right now. Really seeing the field well. Also, his off-target throw percentage is very good. Only Jimmy Garoppolo, Patrick Mahomes, and Sam Howell have a lower off-target throw percentage, which I think is really cool. Um, Dave Canales really, really doing some wonders. And you, when you take a step back and look at it too, Steve, like this is by far the best skill group Baker Mayfield's had to work with, with Mike yeah. Evans, Chris Godwin, Trey Palmer. Like there's some dudes there to work with where I don't yeah. think he's, he's never had a, a receiver of Evans caliber, let alone Godwin's caliber. No. So this is a good situation. The, the offensive line may be playing a little better than people thought. They were supposed to be terrible. Uh, Baker has yeah. has uh, avoided seven sacks so far, which leads the league by a lot. <laughs> so he he is making he's he's just playing well. He's just playing really really well. Um, I think getting him on the move, like you suggested with Canales, has been really good for really good for him. Um, he's just seeing the field a little better. He's short, so getting him outside the pocket is probably good for his vision. Seeing those middle middle of the field concepts open up, um, he's making it work, and he's he's throwing yeah. the ball beautifully. Yeah, and you know Canales coming over from from Seattle. He worked with Gino last year, and you know he kind of did similar things with Gino. He was taking advantage of what Gino's good at, and that's you know kind of not having him be a statue in the pocket, allowing him to move a little bit, allowing him to kind of create, be creative. That's what Gino's done. That's what you know. That's what he's been good at. And Baker's doing the same thing. I mean, he's he looks confident. Like I said, he he's kind of moving all around in the pocket. It's a, it gets hectic at times, but it's, you know, seems to be like control the chaos where I think before the last, you know, 2021, his last season in Cleveland, and then 2022 last year with, between Carolina and LA often, I mean, not in Cleveland last year, it was a lot of offensive line issues. He was not playing behind, you know, a lot of great offensive line play, but it was a lot of times, he just looked out of control and, you know, he overestimated a lot of times his, his arm strength. And that, I think that, that was like a huge problem for him. I think is that there are so many times where Baker Mayfield thought that he had the arm to make a throw and he does it. And I think that he's doing a lot better of this year where he, I think he's starting to kind of understand where he fits in and what his job is. And like you said, having the weapons he has, has, you know, done wonders for him. It's, you know, a lot different when you throw to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans compared to like, you know, Jarvis Landry. And I don't mean who you, I don't the ghost town that was the Rams uh, receiving core in Carolina with having just DJ Moore. He, you know, he had, like you said, he has more weapons to work with, but he's just operating within the offense really well. His numbers aren't, you know, insane from like a passing yard standpoint by any means, he's averaging like 245 yards a game. But again, he's, he's mitigating pressure well. And when he's getting outside the pocket, he's making throws when he, when he has a chance. Yeah. I, their defense too has been okay. No, listen, let's, Everything with a grain of salt, they've beat the Bears and the Vikings so far. And so that's two, admittedly, two teams we projected to not be very good this year. And admittedly, both have pretty atrocious passing defenses. Yes. I mean, the Bears got ripped apart by Jordan Love, and the Vikings have got, got you know, they, they get ripped apart by everyone. Ripped, yeah. They're, you know, they get ripped apart by everyone. And so, We'll see going this week. It's a very different defense. The pressure is going to be turned up against him. The coverage is going to be a little bit better. Although the the Eagles are missing a couple, or they're missing you know some guys in the secondary. So there's going to be some chances. Yeah. But I really want to see how Tampa Bay holds up against pressure this week, because again the Bears are not good at 
bringing pressure, getting pressure on the quarterback. So there's, it's going to be a completely different game as far as how much time and how, how able he is going to be to avoid sacks. But I just, overall, I'm really interested to see how they, how they mitigate pressure. I think it's going to be a lot of quick game. I could, you know, I could see a lot of work with Godwin this week out of the slot to, you know, produce some short gains and short, quick passes to kind of avoid having Baker under a lot of pressure, but it's, it's an interesting matchup. And I, I, I think this is a real test for Tampa Bay and for Baker in general to see, is this, you know, is this fool's gold because of the defense they played or is this offense actually what it's been? Yeah. I do think like the Eagles want to run the ball, right? So that's a big, big part of what they do. The Buccaneers run defense is really good though. Vita Vea is an absolute monster. They've got good, really good linebackers. I think if they can, if they can get the Eagles into some interesting, you know, third and long situations, that could be really, really good for them because the Eagles passing offense right now, Steve, is is a mess. I mean, it was a mess for a lot of last year. They were just hitting deep balls at such an insane rate that it kind of covered up a lot of that. I mean, even last week, Steve, like you look at Jalen Hurts' numbers on paper, 18 for 23, 193 yards and a touchdown. You know, when you're pairing that with 259 rushing yards, that doesn't sound bad. But when you actually turn on the tape and watch what they were doing in the past game, you're just like, oh, my God, this is brain dead. This is this is horrible. Like, I feel bad for Hurt. Like, the play calling, it's like they don't trust him to throw over the middle of the field. They call basically yeah. no in-breaking concepts whatsoever. Unless it's like a short slant to A.J. Brown, there's nothing. Everything's out on the boundary, outside the numbers. There's a lot of concepts with no checkdowns built in. So, like, they're yeah. putting so much on Hurt's plate where it's like, deep ball or bust or static routes three curls and and max protect like you're on deep deep hitches max protect if it's not there hurts has to run the ball and it's just like it's not sustainable i said this last year and it you know they were hitting deep balls at such an insane rate it ended up not mattering but eventually they're gonna have to to get a little bit more robust and creative with their pass game and you you alluded to it when we were um when I think when we were talking during the game on Thursday night with like me, you and Chris, and you had said that it looks like a college offense, it Absolutely. looks too much like a college offense. And there's a lot of college influence in the NFL. Now it's, you know, kind of filtering in a lot more, but this is too college too much. And it, it you know, it's almost like you're playing to rip apart like a, a college defense, a defense where, you know, inevitably there's going to be holes. There's going to be gaps because there's a talent deficit. That's kind of what their offense looks like, but that doesn't happen as often in the NFL. And and I, like, like you said, you can see it. There's no check. There's not a ton of check down options and hurts. You know, it doesn't have like, he's, I think struggling a little bit with his decision-making. It seems like at times, not in terms of like throwing the ball away, but just getting the ball out and you can see it. I mean, he has the eighth longest or the, sorry, the seventh longest time to throw. And while yes, he has a, he has great, you know, great pass protection, but no offense is designed to have that long of a time to throw. Except this one. <laughs> They're like, th- this is what I was telling you guys the other day. There's no read to be had. There's like, there's no anticipation, anticipatory throws to be had. There's no, no breaking routes. So a lot of his dropbacks, he's hitting the top of his drop. And all he sees is the back of numbers. Yeah. Like, cause it, it's just static. Like everything's so static. It's, it's crazy. Uh, but and anyways, you, I don't. You'd like to see him filter in more with Dallas Goddard and Deandre Swift, two guys that could and should be used more in a check down situation. Guys who can kind of create after the catch and make the most of what of the field in front of them, but they're not, giving Hurts that option a lot. Yeah, Goddard had a million targets in this game. I think he had six catches, but it amounted for like 20 yards. Yeah. Uh, because it, it was just pretty predictable what was coming. So I think ultimately I don't necessarily expect Tampa to compete in this game, but if they're going to compete, it's going to be putting the Eagles in third and long situations. Yeah. Um, I think their offense will find ways to score some points. I think if they can get to like 21, it'd be good on first down on defense. I think they have a, a chance to compete. That'll be the key. yeah, and yeah. I still think Philly pulls this game out somewhat comfortably, and I think we kind of see a reset of what Baker's been 
because I think that a better defense, a better pass rush, guys that finish sacks more often, I think that's going to fluster him a bit because we've seen in the past Baker can get flustered by pressure, especially if it's consistent and it's, uh, you know, yeah, just consistent. And I think that that will kind of show through a little bit this week because I think he's they've still they've still a lot of 35 percent pressure percentage on like for that offensive line, which is like around the middle of the league. And, but if you uh, put that out towards like a whole season, that's that'd be finished up toward the top. Yeah. And so what can he do with better, with guys who are better at finishing sacks and like just dudes on that defensive line from Philly with dudes. Yeah. Agreed. So you're taking the Eagles. I'm taking the Eagles as well, but I think this could be a fun a fun game, and I like getting to watch Baker Mayfield in a game that kind of matters a little bit, even though it's only week three. Yeah, and like you said, I think that if Tampa can slow down Philly's run game and not give up over 200 yards rushing or 180 to DeAndre Swift like Minnesota did last week, I think that it's going to put the Eagles in a tough tough position to have to really air the ball out if you know if they're only averaging three four yards a carry. For sure. All right, let's wrap it there. Any final thoughts, Steve? Um, I'm just – I think it's just an interesting season so far. I'm, in, I'm interested to see how some of these teams that we thought were going to be way better bounce back. And Cincinnati to, is one where you'd like to see them bounce back this week against the Rams. But there's been a lot of chaos this year, and I'm, I'm excited to watch it keep going. I think that you're going to see some teams come out and be better than what we thought. Absolutely. All right, let's go do it. Uh, go to fantasypoints.com. Check out all the content on there. The data suite is live. I think there's a seven-day trial up right now. If you're not already a subscriber, please go check that out. Tons of awesome content coming out, though. Um, my game ball piece came out yesterday. Chris's giant stat pack thing comes out today. I think it's a f- five stats he loves pack. Um, Graham has stuff coming out today. Scott has stuff coming out today. Uh, Joe Dolan's matchup thing comes out today, I believe. So it's it's a action-packed, content-filled day. Check it out at fantasypoints.com. Thank you. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at fantasypoints.com.